Hello there, folks. Welcome to our final Phases of the Moon Knight television show special. My name's Dan. I've been a comic fan for a long time. My name is Dwayne, and I've been with the Marvel Cinematic Universe since Iron Man. There we go. It's our final time getting to uh, to use our, our intro we came up with for the specials. We are, uh, yes. we are finishing out the TV show coverage today. Uh, I'm going to miss it. This has been a lot of fun. So today we're going to go in and talk about all six episodes. Uh, Moonlight really has been pretty much everything that I think we could have asked for in terms of giving us some spectacle, giving us some things to think about. Uh, I do think perhaps Dwayne's going to have a few things he might have thought it could have had that it didn't, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that. But it had characters we care about, interesting locations, drama, laughs, spectacle. More than that, entire series kind of featured a weirdness and a almost vertigo-inducing sense that something just isn't right, which really is in a lot of ways the absolute core of Moon Knight, right? It's, as long as, it really as, long is. as it's weird, it really is. You've, you've, at least, you've at least captured some of the core of Moon Knight. So, nonetheless, there's a lot to unpack here. So, Dwayne, you want to let folks know what we might want to make sure they know before we get started? Yeah, so before we get started, keep in mind this is a spoiler-filled discussion like all of our previous TV show episode uh, specials. So if you have not watched the entire six-episode run of Moon Knight on Disney+, Plus, and you don't want it spoiled for you, please pause right here and come back to us once you've watched it, because we have a lot to talk about. So, so we finished up the whole thing. I am not going to try and do a one-minute recap of the of the show. I actually nope. attempted that. I, I went in and I'm like, "Hey, let's let's see," and that was that was a, a fool's errand. But they do actually have a Disney Plus blurb for the whole show at the top right. that kind of talks about it. So we're gonna go through and just kind of note that, and then see if this was the blurb and this is what you decided you were gonna watch it based on whether you uh, whether you got what you expected or not. So the blurb is, when Stephen Grant, a mild-mannered gift shop employee, becomes plagued with blackouts and memories of another life, he discovers he has disassociative identity disorder and shares a body with mercenary Mark Spector. As Stephen slash Mark's enemies converge upon them, they must navigate their complex identities while thrust into a deadly mystery among the powerful gods of Egypt. If... If this is, yeah, if this is the elevator pitch, then yeah, it's, this it's is close. the elevator pitch, well, yeah. They, they left a couple things out, but nonetheless, it's, uh, it's interesting to see kind of how they do that, that thousand foot overview, and that when it gets right down to it and what the show is, it's all about Stephen and Mark and their journey. They, t they mention the gods, they don't mention Harrow, they don't mention Layla, but they keep it pretty straightforward there. And I think that's an important right. thing to note when we start actually getting into what the, what the show's really about. All right, so now that we've, we've gone over the Disney blurb, let's talk about our topics for this week. We're going to go through a list of a few topics, like we did for each of the TV show episodes. Those topics are, include... Review what's made, not what we were expecting. Our listener emails, violence as story and plot. 
was this really Moon Knight? And last but not least, The Adventures of the Scarlet Scarab. So lots of interesting stuff. Plus, Dan has a really, really interesting theory uh, that, that we're going to talk about in the latter half of this episode that I think is pretty mind-blowing, actually. It's that something I haven't heard anywhere else, so uh, I'm looking forward to that discussion as well. So I want to preface this by saying that I got COVID this week, and I've been stuck <laughs> in my basement, quarantined away from my family, with nothing to do except rewatch Moon Knight while, like, high on cough medicine. So... I'm not warrantying this this particular theory in any way, but we're gonna throw it out there and see what you guys think yes. about it. Uh, oddly, even when I'm even when I'm on my downtimes and and seem cogent, it still makes sense to me now. But uh, but we'll see how it goes. So yeah, this is gonna be a lot of fun. And what we're gonna start with, I think, is probably the most important thing to think about when you are beginning to review or to reflect on almost any creative enterprise whether it's a book it's a comic book it's a television show or a movie and that is that in the final analysis it's really important to be able to leave some of your personal expectations and baggage at the door so that you can review what was actually made by the artists who created this thing for you rather than trying to review it in terms of what you would have done if you were the one directing or writing or whatever so i used to write comic reviews at comicbookyeti.com which might i add is a great place to go if you're looking for reviews of like non-big two comic books um matt matt Ligetti over there has created a tremendous site bunch of cool people working there and every week they're putting out great stuff but one of the things that I learned there was it is really important to review that story in art by looking at it simply in terms of the story and how it works as it's told, rather than sitting there and going, well, if I'd been the one writing this or drawing this, I would have done it this way instead. Because there's the path to madness, right? Mm -hmm. So let's look at what we think Moon Knight really gave us. That makes sense, Dwayne? Yeah, I, 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 that's not going to stop me from sharing what I think we should have gotten later on. Uh, and nor but, should it, but, nor should it. We're, uh... But, but, but we definitely need to, at its face, look at what was given to us and, and judge it fairly just on its own merits. Yep. And so I think from, from going out on the web and listening to things that Jeremy Slater or Mohammed Diab or... Oscar Isaac, any of the other actors and people associated with it have talked about. And then from watching the show and sort of seeing what's been presented, I think it's fairly obvious that Moon Knight was intended as a show that's going to blend psychological drama with high adventure and that the creators wanted to essentially lean into Moon Knight's historical mental health issues and his links to Egyptian mythology while leaving behind a lot of the other comic book lore and history, much of which, to be quite frank, is the sort of stuff that continued to annoy us all by having people call him Marvel's Batman, right? The whole, right. he's a rich New York, or Gotham, 
uh, you know, millionaire, and he flies around in his in his moon wing and whatever else. So it's it's interesting how they just kind of jettisoned a lot of that stuff. But moreover than that, I think Muhammad Diab did want to use this series as a showcase for modern Egyptian culture as well, and as a vehicle to bring an Egyptian superhero into the MCU. And of course, because it's Marvel. There's always that additional part to the brief where you have to have the spectacle of that massive CGI fight scene at the end to sort of bring it all together and give people the, you know, the explodey parts that we're all used to from a Marvel movie or a TV show, right. right? So when you look at it from that standpoint of did they make an entertaining show that sort of fit the goals they wanted? If that's what they wanted to do, how do you think they did, Dwayne? I mean, it's hard to argue that they didn't do a fantastic job. I mean, it, it feels like the the story that we were given, the acting, the music, the writing, the directing, everything sort of just was on point throughout this entire this entire run. So much so that I feel like it 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 really did feel like it kind of transcended pop culture for a little while it 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 literally this was not a character i knew six months ago and and it was uh at the start of this run it was everywhere and continued to be the thing you talked about every thursday morning at the water cooler so to speak and and so i i have a hard time you know are suggesting anything anything other than this was a a spectacular success yep and and i think it was a success too because it was just obvious and and a lot of the marvel productions are like this lately but this one maybe even a little more so it was obvious just the love that the people working on it had sort of for working together and on the project and Everything was done so meticulously. You know, from that very first episode, you listen to the music, you listen to the, you know, the acting and, and the voices that Oscar Isaac's doing from the beginning, a lot of the other things that are layered in. The cinematography's beautiful. The fact they faked, they, they fooled me at least twice in terms of believing they were in locations they never went to. Because right. I thought they'd gone to Egypt. They never went to Egypt. I thought they'd went to London. They never went to London. All this stuff was done in Budapest or something, right? They right. Like recreated yep. entire city blocks. Um, the talent of the people involved and the dedication they had, I think, is absolutely undeniable. And what it what it resulted in is a very, very fun, polished product that almost anybody could enjoy. Yeah. And I think with Moon Knight that's something that's a bit of a a bit of an accomplishment in and of itself because this is a character who's had trouble just keeping a comic book alive for the last 40 years even in you know a, a medium where there's a lot of us who love him. So it, it he's been a very niche character. And yeah. to be able to break out this way, they found something about the character that connected with public culture and got a lot of people to connect in who maybe wouldn't have otherwise and i think that's really impressive um i loved that the series is intentionally light in a lot of 
places. There's a lot of scenes that have very, very brilliantly lit uh, aspects to them, uh, especially like a lot of the early action sequences, things like the the dreaded cupcake fan scene and things like this, <laughs> right? Yes. Which drove me nuts at first, but I kind of understand it now. Um, the whole thing has kind of this Indiana Jones, especially almost like Indiana Jones 3, uh, where he's... You know, driving along on the beach, getting rid of the getting rid of the birds and taking down the plane. Uh, the Sean Connery character aspects of the Indiana Jones movies. It seems like a lot of that almost comes out in this. And that helps to offset some of the native darker themes that Moon Knight has with Mark and Stephen and how they're dealing with a lot of different stuff as they're trying to process their mother's death, come to an understanding of what's happening to them, what they need to do to move forward. So there's a lot of psychological stuff going on and they somehow managed to stuff all that in and get people to not notice that they were going through this psychological drama because of all the other fun going on and the, the interesting shiny bits. So talk to me about the actors. Who were your favorite actors in this? I, I mean, I, I think we have not been stingy on our praise of oscar isaac throughout all this and and he continues to astound me doing the the rewatch of the episodes this week it just the the nuance of each of the uh of mark and and steven just continues to astound me just how well that worked and and even like him talking or having Kanshu talk through him and, and how that was different and different things like this. And then, and then, and then the reveal of Jake Lockley at the end still feels like a completely different character. It, he was great. Uh, the May Kalamaui was fantastic. Uh, I, it, it disappoints me slightly. We didn't see her in, in episode one because that's how great I think her, her character Layla was. Once we did see her in episode two, all the way through the rest, and, and Ethan Hawke, I mean, huh, like I, he's a character or he is an actor that I've liked uh, for my entire life because he's yep. been around for a while. But like, he's he done just, things. He's he 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 really did, and I see now why they picked that scene with him and the glass and the. Uh, in the sandals at the beginning of the first uh, episode as the as the open because it just it is so haunting and so emblematic I think of what this entire show ended up being that it just sort of it, it just it just it, it worked for me and and like even the bit actors and actresses that are in this even you know just kind of the 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 side players, if you will, Donna and and like the JB, the the security guard, and, and just different people like Crowley. They put Crowley in there for God's sake. It just everything about it, big and small, just worked. Just worked as far as the acting went. The family was spectacular. The you know his mother and and that actress. The the way she just sort of broke down over the space of scenes and changed completely. Yeah. And even, you know, like the, the dad is showing not as I, as I went back and watched this week, I realized that they didn't talk so much about the fact that, that Mark and his father didn't deal with things the same way. But I think that his father's pacifism 
which is talked about explicitly in the comics, is really shown in the fact that for years and years he lets this abuse of his son continue to happen. And he never does yeah. anything about it except, you know, just kind of continue to sort of, I don't know, move along from year to year. Yeah. And it's, and then the kid who plays uh, Oscar Isaac, or the kid who plays Mark as a Mark. child, I mean, yeah. he did a great job. So that yeah. everybody in this, the acting was spectacular. I loved the little touches of the music and stuff. I will say that thing that amazed me in Ethan Hawke's performance was the end of it. I didn't actually see too much of him being, like, he wasn't really stretched that far early. But in the last couple, as he's really doing some of the, the deep psychological work uh, as Dr. Harrow, you can see some really cool stuff in the way he changes. And the last scene where he raises Amit, and then he's being, essentially, she's like, your scales are unbalanced. Uh, There's so many things going on in him where he's like afraid and he's accepting, and then it's almost like he's disappointed at a certain point. Because she accepts him and she's like, I'm going to give you a pass. And he spent his entire life being this this just crazed acolyte for a god who has no mercy and she's like eh you know <laughs> if you help me you'll find peace and yeah. I, I, there's just something in his eyes and his where you have this guy can act you know because i didn't even realize it until i'd watched it a couple times and and maybe it was again the cough syrup pays but i'm like wow that is there's something going on in that performance that you really have to just sit there and look at, and it's spectacular. All right, Dwayne, that's probably enough of that. Let's uh, move on to our next topic. The uh, This one will be kind of fun. we got a number of letters this week, folks commenting on the show, various topics on it and the like. You want to kind of lead us through a little bit of the discussion on what we got and what folks were interested in talking about? Definitely. We had, yes, we did a call. We did a call out uh, looking for your feedback on the on the TV show. And we got a couple e emails back from, from various people, listeners of the show. Thank you to each of you. And, and yeah, I, I just want to talk about some of the things that were brought up in those emails. And let's let's start with Noel, who I know you've talked with a great deal from. He's Absolutely. from the Into the Night podcast. He's, he does right? Into the Night and uh, occasionally, and then also he's a co-host on the Howard the Duck podcast. So okay, yes, all right. So uh, some of the things Noel writes, he said as. For the series overall, he said he loved it. Uh, of course, he loved the journey more than the conclusion, but he truly loved the journey. And so he he, he, he didn't really like the finale. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it was just, I, I don't think it was just the runtime like it is for me, but but there, there was, he had, he had some issues with that. Uh, one, of, one of the things talks about not being able to watch episode five for a second time he said it's so heartbreaking so painful isaac really made me feel like mark and steven made me feel for mark and steven in only a way a truly special indie film would 
to get that out of what is essentially a blockbuster is an amazing feat. And I, I could not agree with that anymore. Absolutely. I, think I, I, I said that I thought episode five was the best, ep- uh, best episode of MCU television we've ever seen. And I and I stand by that. It, it still to me me really resonates uh, that journey that we went through just in that one episode, and not even talking about the larger journey throughout the entire entire season. Um, no, no I would then, absolutely then, agree. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it, it's quite good. And then uh, I, I think you know we. We're gonna we're gonna talk about we talked about some of the things we liked. There's going to be some criticisms maybe a little bit later on uh, as we go through this, but I, I liked his summation of it where he said this show was not totally what he wanted from a Moon Knight show, but he's glad they didn't give him what he wanted. I like new things, and I like for people to take chances. They did both, and I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, we corresponded quite a few times during the show, and and Nolan, I think, had very similar opinions on kind of the things that that's maybe weren't done, maybe the way we we would have wanted them to, but nonetheless, right. an overall appreciation of just what they accomplished, and uh, and also, by the way, uh, and noted, um, he's he's on the the Trapped in the World podcast, the Howard the Duck, and after listening to their last episode this week, you're really lucky. That I didn't give you like a big quiz or test at the end because he actually quizzed his co-host on the first few episodes or, or issues of Howard the Duck after they got done reading them. So oh, that would have been uh, yeah, that would have been fun. Pop I, quiz, I don't... unannounced <laughs> quiz for Dwayne to see Let's... whether you pass the. Uh, let's not incorporate that into the next season of the show whatever you know when we when we go to that because that i i'm getting nervous just thinking about that so but thank you noel for your comments we really appreciate those yeah absolutely thanks noel that's uh excellent stuff who else we got coming up all right our next email is from brett uh he gave a Sent, sent us in a message and he said he really enjoyed the finale it was pro it was probably his favorite episode of the series so unlike unlike noel and maybe a little bit to myself he he said that he really liked the finale he said that might be a recency bias but uh it seemed to scratch every itch is what he said um so definitely very cool definitely and i think i think for a lot of people that's going to be the case because if you do like the the MCU, you like super cool kaiju monsters fighting, and you know the CGI. They seem to save their entire budget for that last episode, yeah. right? Because some of the some of the jackals and stuff in the early episodes were kind of sketchy, but I mean the the monsters, Amit was yeah. really impressive to watch. You know, yeah. it was short. I, I I would have liked it to be longer, but as far as it was, yeah, it was it was an impressive bit of television, and especially if you do like kind of the action and the comic booky parts, it was the most comic booky and in in many ways the most entertaining. So yeah. I can I can see where that would be something that a number of people that's going to be their favorite. Uh, another comment from Brett was that he liked that Disney has been able to go way deeper and weirder 
into Marvel with their TV shows than they have been able to in their films. He's definitely mm -hmm. uh, into that. And it does seem like they hold too much back episode to episode, if that makes sense. And he talked about the fact that mm -hmm. basically it took the entire episode for us to see Moon Knight in episode one. And then it took us almost to the end of episode two until we saw him again. And yep. so there was, there was definitely, I think, uh, I definitely would agree with that. And I, and maybe there's some method to the madness because what he's, he goes on to say, it seems almost formulaic how they kind of wait to cram in the action or significant story movement until the last five or ten minutes of the episode. Uh, he talked about the fact that he really liked Daredevil because uh, of how they kind of stretch things out across the entire episode. Into that. And, and, and says specifically that it is the gold standard of Marvel television. So I have to go back and watch Daredevil again because I remember really loving the show and... Um, yeah, the, these comments uh, are definitely making me want to go back and read or watch those again. We're going to talk a little bit about Daredevil here as as we go through this. I have opinions on this as well. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. So yeah. no, that's good stuff. I I think I I like the fact that you know we got a lot of folks who are starting to compare these against and start to take a look and see where they all work in. I also think that that whole idea that they're sort of stretching the boundaries of the MCU, well, that's kind of the, the last thing on our topic today is that whole idea of just how far did they stretch this. So it's going to be something that's going to be fun to talk about. Yeah. Um, all right. So who do we got next, Dwayne? All right. Our next email is from Buddy. Uh, he says he's really glad that they tied up Steve, the Steven stuff very nicely. And he's very excited about Jake. He said, how, how about all that Jake business? Gives me real high hopes for Moon Knight in the future. I, I don't know of anybody that wasn't uh, really excited about that mid credit scene and finally getting that reveal of Jake Lockley. Yep. Took him long enough. <laughs> it did it did talk about really. delaying things so uh he says they he was shocked and impressed that they actually did the whole full-sized gator-headed Ahmet versus Kanshu uh mm -hmm. battle in 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 Cairo he said the giant size throwdown I did not see that coming and just wow Nope. I mean, I mean that was a spectacle television at its best. I think. Absolutely. All right, and then I believe, I I feel we should have an actual mailbag or something where I can be pulling these out and handing them to you <laughs> or something like that. But I I believe that we have one last comment that we wanted to visit a little bit about. So, what uh, what do we have as as a Correspondent number four. Yes, we had a really, really great email from, from Lena, uh, specifically talking uh, about the, the DID aspects of the show. I definitely really appreciated getting getting their thoughts uh, on the episode. And, and there's some fantastic stuff in here. I, I want to start out by 
There was a comment, the depictions of the circumstances of Stephen's life were so realistic to the experiences of DID that it hurt a little to watch, but it also felt good in that we were being represented not just more accurately, but empathetically as well. Uh, really appreciated the fact that Stephen, not Mark, was the alter whom the viewers got to know and empathize with first. Uh, but the, you know, talking about the fact that you know which one is real and which one isn't, and that sort of thing, and and it's a. But the truth is, all of the alters in a DICD system are equally real, and by showing Stephen as a fully realized human first, this show helped to empathize that fact which is a huge win for DID representation. And I, and I didn't even think about that. And, I didn't either. And it is, it is, it is a fantastic insight into, into, into this. Yep. And, and Lena's got a bunch of really good information available as well. A uh, number of you probably are already listening to the into the night podcast. Uh, if you're not, it's absolutely tremendous. Moon Knight podcast, you should be listening to it, but they actually have on the website an area um, that Lena has put in articles relating to DID and Moon Knight that not only talk about myths and conceptions about DID, but also relate some of these concepts back to Moon Knight so that for those of us who've read some of the comics, it sort of makes dissociative identity disorder a little easier to understand by relating it right. to things that we're familiar with. So if you haven't uh, taken a look at those and you are interested in learning more, that's a, a resource I definitely recommend. And we can put in the show notes a link back to uh, to that. Uh, and then also Ray and Rebecca have used Elena as a resource on a number of the podcasts as well while they've been explaining things. So. Yeah, and and that and that and that was just part of the email, and I, I think that there is there there is a lot here. I, I could probably put the entire email in here if, it, <laughs> if truth be told. But I will say this: in the fifth episode in the series was probably my favorite because it showed perhaps the most realistic origin of DID in any media depiction I've seen. Stephen's reaction to learning that. He has been created to help Mark process his trauma really hit me hard because I remember feeling those feelings myself, not knowing if I was real or how horrifying that was. I was a little upset by the ending of the episode, however, because it seemed to imply that Mark had gotten rid of Stephen in order to be balanced. And, and I remember being a bit confused by yep. the ending of me that too. episode as well. And it just, it, it, it felt like this show because of my um, lack of knowledge about dissociative identity disorder and what they were trying to convey to me that that was what was happening. And, and I, after seeing episode six, I'm not entirely sure that's what was intended and what ended up happening, but it, it was just kind of the way that sh episode ended with everything that had happened there. It just sort of felt like that's where they were going with it. Things resolved in a manner that maybe corrected some some ways, but it definitely didn't feel right. I believe there was a misstep there in the way that was done, that was unfortunate. Just yeah. it just felt wrong. Um, Lena did end by saying, "Really pleased with the character growth of both Stephen and Mark throughout the series." 
as they both learn to accept each other and work together to help each other. And and I, I definitely feel like the last episode really, really did a good job of that. I mean, seeing Mark go and back into the Duat, into the Sands, and, and basically kind of almost give himself up in an attempt to try and stay, save Steven. And then they both end up, you know unfreezing yep. and are able to be resurrected it just i i i love the fact that, and speaking to lena's earlier point the fact that we did find steven first and got to be like connected with him i mean it showed on twitter there were so many people that were so upset after episode five and seeing steven end up in this frozen state separately and mark ending up into the field of reeds it 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 felt yep. like you were invested in both of those characters and you really did want to see the best for both of those alters when it came to the end of the season and and I, and i think we truly did actually get that which was which was really great yep so yeah it, it, it is uh, i definitely feel like i know more now than I did before the show started, which is great. I don't think I'm where I need to be. And and maybe they could have pointed us to some some different uh, resources out there, you know, in the credits or something that would have allowed for that to happen. Uh, but they didn't maybe go quite that far, but they they started that convert they started it. Yep. And at least started having us go in the right direction. And and I and emails like this and and resources like lena out there uh definitely can help bring us to where we need to be when it comes to to things like this no here we go so that i believe takes us to the end of the mailbag which yes that's pretty cool though uh really want to say thanks to everybody who wrote in uh not only for this episode but folks who've corresponded uh, over the the last few episodes about other things on the TV show. It's always great hearing from folks, and we do appreciate it. Yes, definitely. This was, it was a, a lot of fun reading through these messages when they were coming in, and then, uh, yeah, try picking, out, picking out some of those comments that we could share with all of you uh, on the episode this week. What was our next thing we wanted to talk about? We had... Violence. Oh my. Yeah, so this is this is another one. Um, one of the really interesting things about Moon Knight is, and one of the things that I've found draws me to the character and to the stories, is how over the years, Moon Knight and his various iterations has been used as a really effective vehicle for discussing things like violence and vigilantism and justice. The Moon Knight TV show sort of riffs on this as well and does it in an interesting way. But, while I've been in quarantine, besides re-watching Moon Knight repeatedly, my son actually wanted to watch the Daredevil show. And watching that with my son this last week was an eye-opening experience in a lot of ways. Uh, I was really impressed in that by how important each of the fight sequences were 
in terms of reeling the characters of the combatants. You know, Matt Murdock, how far was he willing to go? Wilson Fisk, how far was he willing to go? What did that utilization of violence do to the person who was committing the violence? And how did that then kind of drive their personal stories forward? Moon Knight does not seem to deal with this at all. Uh, it swings sort of wildly in the opposite direction where most of the violence that we actually see in the show is turned into comedy or even camp and the scenes where truly unpleasant violence occurs essentially just get edited out through time lapse and we don't see anything at all, right? Yeah. One of the ways this became most apparent to me is during things like the cupcake scene, right? Where at the very (laughs) end of it, even after all the other crazy stuff with them shooting him up and whatever, you get to the end, he stops the truck, the other guys are there, they're pointing guns at him, getting ready to shoot him, and a bunch of logs just randomly come down and take him off the uh, the side of the mountain, you know? I mean, that's just funny. It's, It's violence played for laughs. If you look at the scene where he's in the corral with those guys with the spears... Again, really violent scene, but played, especially with the the Mr. Knight part of it and and the like, played much for laughs, you know? So you don't get violence played for laughs in Moon Knight very often, you know? You get violence played as violence in Moon Knight most of the time. And, you know, when we talk about the whole, you've got to judge it on what it is, not what you want it to be. It was really hard watching Daredevil and not going, wow, that's what I wanted Moon Knight to be, right? But it definitely wasn't. So it almost seems like this turns into a meta-commentary on the whole idea of Disney control and how it almost sterilizes and limits Marvel. You know, what can you do in a movie? How does the representation of violence and the the results of violence change when you start having the limitations of everything having to be appropriate for Disney+. And will Marvel change Disney, or will Disney change Marvel? Right? They are both juggernauts, but yeah. never bet against the mouse, man. Never, <laughs> ever bet against the mouse. So, no. um, so what do you think? What did you think of the violence in in moon Knight, that's it's 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 a really interesting conversation because i i had not really thought about about it but the thing that i guess i remember when when talking about kind of the violence and the 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 word that i keep coming back to is brutality because I, re- yep. I distinctly sure. remember Kevin Feige saying that this was going to be a brutal show, that that they weren't going to pull away when they had the opportunity, you know, where where they would have stopped before, where MCU has stopped before, they weren't necessarily going to pull away. And, it, and when I was watching the show, I, I actually, like, was talking to my wife, and I'm like, where is this brutality? Have There's no I brutality. Become, have I become so desensitized to violence that I can't tell where that line is? And and like, are the other MCU properties really that much less violent 
or is the violence shown in a way that is really that much different than what we saw here with Moon Knight? And and frankly, I don't I don't see it actually. Falcon and Winter Soldier was much more direct and much more like in your face violent. And the violence was much more impactful. You know, when you see the things that were going on, um, where, you know, somebody's getting his face beat in with the shield and the like, even though you're not seeing the actual blood spatter or whatever, the violence was, was visceral. There's very little, other than maybe that first scene with the jackal in the first episode when it ends it, was the really only time you saw any truly visceral violence. You know, when you look at the the killing of those three guys or whatever, he, he fought them on the roof. At the end, one of them got stabbed during a blackout, and we just see him taking the knife out. And then the other one, again, it's played for laughs, where Conchie's like, hold him over the edge. You know, he'll talk. Yeah. And then the guy cuts it and, and falls to his death. Well, I guess I was wrong. Right? Yeah. I, um, I thought he'd have talked. I thought, I he'd, thought talk. he'd have talked. So there's very little in this that really comes anywhere near. Where is there any brutality? I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. It, and, and, and so it's, it, it's that is weird because I remember distinctly Feige's saying that. And now yeah. it makes no sense to me seeing the finished product. Well, and, 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 and it made sense when you had the context of the of the of the comic book, right? Because I Absolutely. feel like I feel like the comic book can be very brutal, and there are runs specifically in the comic book where the the violence in those looks especially brutal, and or the acts of violence are especially brutal, and 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 so you know. I, I I'm looking at the TV show and and the violence I think from a choreographic standpoint I think they did a fantastic job of 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 doing the do you know everything looked believable everything uh, you know mm-hmm. specifically I think we talked about in, in episode six I I loved seeing you know Mr Knight look like Mr Knight from the comics and and that sort of thing and so they, I think they were true to it in that in that stance but at the same time it's like I don't know I don't I don't see the brutality and I don't see the violence and and so am I so so I just kept kind of thinking am I broken here or something did I did I miss well, something Well I think we all are broken I mean there's no question that the level of desensitization that we all have to violence in our shows is is significant. Right. Maybe what they meant was simply that there was blood and bodies on the on the ground after the blackouts, but that doesn't yeah. seem. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure. The if that's if that's the extent of it. If that's Disney getting brutal, I think we've got significant limits on what we're going to see in terms of some of the you know the Netflix type of of shows that we would have seen in the past. Is the ins- is the insinuation of violence as bad as the violence itself? Because that that's what it feels like they're they're equating the 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 assumption or the insinuation of violence as being as bad as as, as seeing the act itself. Well, I will I'll, I'll put again though that violence simply as a plot device, violence where it's simply people 
who you don't care about shooting bullets at other people you don't care about, I don't think really has much impact for people. We've seen that a lot. You know, the right. to me, the most impactful violence in this is what goes on behind the door after Mark pulls Stephen out of the room that they were in when they were kids and you hear his mom yeah. take out the the, the, the belt. belt, right? I mean, that is that is absolutely tragic violence and it hurt. I mean, my, my wife, she cried. She cried when she was in the next room and I was re-watching it and she heard the scene start and she's like, I'm crying just knowing this scene's going on, right? really effective but that's because they've bound emotion to it and again you look at daredevil it's visceral there you can understand the anger and the violence and there's there's velocity behind it there's just this this character driven sort of of need to commit violence and i think mark has a lot of that sort of bound up in him but we don't really see it you know uh, because everything is sort of just Stephen, who's all happy-go-lucky, until it's not, and then we snap back into him, and everybody's out cold or dead. So, I I really found that it is in in terms of the way the violence was handled, it was either brilliant or it was really unsatisfying, and I'm not exactly sure. I think if you if you take it. If you take it as, as sort of a wink and a nod commentary on Disney, then it's brilliant. If you take it as this is supposed to be Moon Knight fight scenes, I think it's kind of weak. Yeah. Um, interested, if anybody else out there, by the way, has any comments or thoughts on that, we would be interested to hear what you think as well about whether you, whether you thought this show was brutal. And, and yeah. our, our Dwayne and I... Simply monsters who have been desensitized by years of American media to where we cannot see it. Uh, You had had something on this next one. Maybe you wanted to lead us through about, uh, was this really Moon Knight? Yeah, so, so we've talked earlier about checking expectations at the door. And I think, but at the same time, I think... You're going to go back to the door now and uncheck your expectations, yes, aren't yes, you? Yes, yes. <laughs> my, my expectations have been knocking, and I think I'm going to let them in for this All part right. of the conversation. Uh, I think it's safe to say that most, actually every Moon Knight fan wanted going into this series to see their, to enjoy seeing their character on the screen, right? They, and... The thing that I, when I was watching the show again, the thing I found myself asking by the end of it was, was this really Moon Knight? And I guess what I mean by that is, is do you think the show accurately reflected the character that you grew up with, the the character that you loved, the the person, the the character in the comics or, or, or maybe a better question would be, how do you think someone who only saw the TV, the Moon Knight TV show, how would they describe Moon Knight? And and like, would there, would you like the, that description of Moon Knight that they gave you? Would, Would it, 
do you think they get it right? Do you think, do you think there even is a right answer? And, and I, I just, it's weird because my expectation, I think going into this was I was expecting kind of the original Batman movie over the course of six episodes in, in that we would have an origin story probably in episode one and we would see street vigilanteism after that he after he's evolved and and gotten into this character and and that street vigilanteism that we saw countless times throughout the comic books was only hinted at in the tv show in one room in episode five in in the in, in that in that asylum in the in the mental hospital and the, and they were corpses just yep. sitting there and and you know i thought maybe there would be this larger villain that that he would confront at some point i i was thinking stained glass scarlet might be a good choice for that because of the story that they kind of wrapped uh, around her early appearances but i mean arthur harrow ends up being kind of that person in the in the tv show but i guess more to the point, I thought there would be something more grounded in the day-to-day life of this street vigilante, Moon Knight, that that we saw, and not this super powerful avatar of the gods story that we ended up getting. And and if if that story is the story that that a large swath of the audience now thinks of when they think of what Moon Knight is. Are you okay with that? So, so that's not an easy question in a lot of ways, and it, it goes <laughs> well. What, it goes in a lot, lot of ways too to personal yeah. preference and to kind of how you feel about about whether media should sort of breathe and adapt. I will say that from a from a fundamental standpoint, no, I do not believe this is my Moon Knight. The in some ways, the one redeeming factor for it is that it is so far from my Moon Knight that I don't even have to worry about comparing it. Right? They have they've taken so many sort of liberties with it that it really is just a completely different character. So it's, it's yeah. hard to compare. That said, when I look at the changes they made, I have a hard time arguing with most of them. Because yeah. I didn't want him necessarily to be a rich billionaire playboy. To be quite frank, I'm sick of billionaires. And I would rather see less of them <laughs> in all sorts of media. Right? Yeah. I think that's a modern yeah. problem with comic books is that you used to have a lot of the heroes were guys like Peter Parker who didn't have much money and they had to get by and work a job and still manage to superhero just, you know, because they wanted to help out. And they were, they were facing normal people's problems. And now almost every hero seems to be so flush with cash that their only problem is deciding that for some reason they still need to go out and mess in other people's business instead of just hanging out by the pool, right? right. So I'm fine with them not being rich. I am fine with them changing Stephen Grant in a way that makes him a little bit more interesting and different from... Uh, from Mark or from Jake, 
You know, that that we kind of laughed back in the day that you know, the only way you can tell it's Jake is because he puts on a fake mustache and you can tell it's <laughs> Steven because he's put on a tuxedo, right? Other than that, they're right. the exact same guy. It would be uh-huh. a very simple acting job for Oscar Isaac. So even with other things like the, the change-up of the scenery, some of the characters only coming back either in cameo or not at all, I think it all works. I didn't like the fact that they decided to adapt what is in some ways a a revisionist look at Moon Knight as the first story. And I think that's the problem. I wish they'd have maybe made a lot of these changes, but let him just be a regular hero before you make him the guy who is in this weird psychological fugue state where nobody knows what's real. Because it makes it a very confusing story for people to really follow and and know who exactly this character really is. But in the end, I think that whether he's whether he's really Moon Knight in quotes, I think he's a pretty good Moon Knight. Yeah. You know? I, I, I love mean, Oscar I Isaac ta- doing it. Yeah, I have a hard time arguing with what they gave us. But at the same time it's the, all the little changes over the course of, you know, the story that they told in when you when you look at when you pull back and look at the whole the thing as a whole, mm-hmm. it's like it, 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 it's almost like it's a completely different picture. Right. It, it's like it is. I'm copy. I'm copying this picture and but I'm making changes, slight changes as I'm copying this picture and that because of the number of changes that I've made, when you kind of go back and look at the big picture, it suddenly is a completely different picture. It's like a game of telephone where a hundred people describe Moon Knight to each other. And by the end, he's totally different than he was when he started, right? But, right. but I mean, think of the changes and how many of them wouldn't you want them to have done? Would you prefer that instead right. of having a secret, you look like a, a super weird cool costume that just appears that he'd be constantly running to the back of a cab and putting on this big outfit. <laughs> I mean, I, I will say it is kind of funny seeing how Peter Parker goes about trying to get dressed every yeah, time. Moon <laughs> Knight's got a much bigger costume. It's got to be like half the yeah. trunk filled with that thing. The, you know, you look at the, the changes to his origin, how he got DID. No, I'm a hundred percent on board with this. The, the story in the comics better. is an absolute disaster. So a lot of things have changed, but there are very few of them that I can point to and say, they just changed it for no reason. And it bothers me. Even things like Marlene, not being Marlene anymore, but being a new character called Layla up until episode five, I thought that was kind of lame. Then suddenly Mm -hmm. they made it make all perfect sense. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Now they've wrapped all that in given a good reason for the, for wanting to make a new character because they're going to actually turn her into a superhero and let her loose on the world. And so that change makes sense too. So everything, right. everything changes. I do wish Frenchie'd been there. I don't know if there would have been a way to make that actually happen. Maybe that was just a, you know, another character they couldn't fit in. I, I think that especially early on, that is one change that's difficult to deal with because Frenchie as his sort of companion is such a fundamental part of Moon Knight from yeah. from Werewolf by Night 32 and on. 
Um, that, but you know, maybe they tried and it just didn't work out. Who knows? It it is. But no, your your base question. It is not my Moon Knight, but it's a pretty darn good Moon Knight. It is a pretty good Moon Knight. So. Yes, I, I agree. I will note one thing that that at at a certain when you were talking about you know getting Batman, uh, the original Batman movie, there were points when I was in my you know Nyquil coma where I sat there and and was watching the earlier episodes, and I'm like, this is more like like the Adam West Batman than it is like the Daredevils on Netflix. And that is not something I would have expected. <laughs> right? No? <laughs> I, I, think, I think it was during the Cupcake Van scene and a couple of other things where I'm like, this is uh-huh. actually almost camp. You yeah. know? It is, it is actually taking us back to something that's just completely not... That is not my Moon Knight. You know, right. driving along in a cupcake van, van to Wham is not my Moon Knight. I can, I can authoritatively tell you that. <laughs> Whatever else is or is not. So, anyway. But how about you? I mean, you just read them all. You, in asking this question, sounds like similar to you. I, I, I think I'm where you're at, that this is not the moon knight this is not moon knight from the comics and the thing that the the moon knight of the tv show is a good version of moon knight but it is not moon knight from the comics and uh whether whether or not the the like audience at large can talk to moon knight the comic book hero versus moon knight the tv show character i guess probably isn't that big a deal but it just i i i don't know it just it just for 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 a character i was not even aware of six months ago i i found myself being incredible i having an incredible amount of expectations for something that i didn't think i had expectations for when it all came said and done and and it and it surprised me and and i can't imagine that it is exponentially bigger for somebody who has been a fan for this character for much longer than i have and i will note i my flexibility in terms of how how i how much i want my characters to change is not something everybody necessarily shares i know there's going to be a lot of people who especially as they watch this numerous times like i've been doing is going to become increasingly morose about what what was done to their moon knight right and i i sympathize with them because I've been there. I've been a longtime fan of, of characters that things have happened to that are weird. But I do think that going back to our first point of what they gave us was a show to be proud of. And, yeah. and was something where if you've been a Moon Knight fan your whole life and you were recommending Moon Knight to people. Like, you know, I brought you into comic books by saying, hey, let's read Moon Knight. Right? Mm-hmm. And if it had been 
crap. If it had been the Morbius movie, I would have felt <laughs> terrible right now. I can I can tell you absolutely that watching this, I don't feel bad about getting you involved in something that would get you into the show because I think what they presented was a piece of pop culture that's going to be enjoyed by a lot of people and that mm-hmm. at least in spirit feels relatively true to what Moon Knight is even though all the details are different. Yeah. And the weird thing when you talk about current comics is if if you think about it, even if they'd done Mench Sienkiewicz like Moon Knight with Jake in the cab and Gina and whatever, if someone picked up a current copy of Jed McKay's run, it still wouldn't have made a lick of sense because Moon Knight changes every three years anyways. So what the heck's the difference, right? Yeah. No, it would have been completely different. (laughs) Like, who are all these characters? I actually think what I... How did Gina get young and turn into a vampire? This makes no sense. <laughs> what I think I was actually envisioning was a T, like a. You talked about the Daredevil TV show. I, I feel like I, I. That was such a good show that I think maybe that was where where I was coming from, and like this, police procedurals being what they are in on TV nowadays. Yep. I, I think it was something like that where I was expecting that, you know, we were going to have this like villain of the week sort of thing and he would go out and, and take care of it while dealing with this larger thing that's going on in the background. I can almost guarantee you that just about every long-term Moon Knight fan was was in their head hoping for something that was a Moon Knight equivalent of the Netflix Daredevil show. Because that is, I mean, that was adaptation done right, to say the least. And it was very true to the the spirit and in a lot of ways to the actuality of the character. Um, So, and it was a traditional origin story and everything else. But, yeah, yeah, it was was interesting. It was... uh, but but again, I I think that it's one of those things you just kind of gotta decide in the end. Are you are you going to dig in and go? That's not exactly what I expected. Or you know you know, I've already got the comics in the bin. You know I've got long yeah. boxes full of the stories. I don't need them <laughs> to tell me these stories. I've already read them. Tell me a new story and then let yeah. them go ahead and do it. So yeah. Anyway, but now that you mentioned it. I do have a very traditional, like, Marvel origin story for you, if you'd like to listen to one. Sure. You, you ready for this? Let's talk about, let's talk about it. So I watched a show this weekend called The Adventures of the Scarlet Scarab. It was a, it was a five-issue miniseries on Disney Plus. Essentially, if you lop off the first episode of Moon Knight, we actually get this pretty decent, if relatively conventional, superhero origin story movie for the for the Scarlet Scarab, for Layla. Because in it, Layla actually tracks down her lost companion, Stephen, who somehow acquired the MacGuffin 
that she's been searching for. Stephen then haplessly gets himself captured by Arthur Harrow's men, and she has to track him down at Harrow's compound. She then uses her underworld connections, which she's gotten over years of being sort of a dealer in antiquities on the various markets, to help her locate a sarcophagus that has the information they need. And after Stephen assists her by decrypting the riddle, she saves him again by blowing up a carload of assassins with a flare. <laughs> yeah. They then head off to the tomb, and Layla leads Stephen down into the crypt, where she survives a ledge fight with a mummy and learns that her friend may not be who he seems. Stephen then finds the MacGuffin too and dies for plot reasons. Layla manages to infiltrate Harrow's team and returns back to the pyramid where she frees Khonshu, becomes the avatar of Tauret, and gets a spiffy new costume. After this, she joins in the fight against Amit and Harrow, which ends with her saving a busload of people, including a small, admiring girl. Due to a conversation she'd had with the avatar of Osiris, she also knows what must be done to finally defeat Amit and leads Stephen back to the pyramid, where they cast the spell of binding upon her. What do you think? I think that would have been a pretty good show. That's 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 solid. That that's very that seems like a very good show. Yeah, uh, it actually was a pretty good show. So yeah. yeah, if you strip out all of the psychological stuff going on with Stephen and Mark, in a lot of ways, this is the actual plot of Moon Knight, and it mm -hmm. it involves an astonishingly small amount of Moon Knight. Which is which is yeah. sort of weird. Um, in 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 my haze, I was actually sitting there thinking it's kind of like I'm watching the Mummy right now, but May Clemway is playing Brendan Fraser's character, and Oscar Isaac is playing Rachel Weiss, right? Because she's like the librarian that knows all of the sort of interesting stuff, but is constantly getting herself in trouble and needs to be saved, and he's uh -huh. the adventurer who's kind of gets everything done. And right. that's exactly what we have here. So, it's a really, really good origin story, and it I would is. love to see more of this the Scarlet Scarab, because yes. it's a it is a sweet costume. She's got cool powers. May is a spectacular actress. I think she could easily hold down a series by herself. So, anyway, but she really did have a tremendous arc. I think that the there was definitely a goal to to highlight Egyptian culture, to highlight and bring about an Egyptian superhero. And I think they did it in a really effective manner while still integrating really well into Mark and Steven's story. So what yeah. what did you think what did you think of the the voyage of the Scarlet Scarab? I I mean until it actually happened and she emerges from that, you know, kind of busted in hallway where after accepting and becoming the avatar of Tarette, I, I, I was, it was entirely unexpected. I, I did not see it coming. I did not. I, it, I did not you know, either. And in fact, I mean, everything that we had seen up until that point was almost leading us to believe that, that, Layla was going to become the next avatar of Khonshu. And, and like, 
in not just saying it, but like in looks and 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 how and how the story was progressing, it, it sort of felt that way. But I think I think the final episode is better because of that, uh, because of the uh, of her becoming the avatar and, and oh, it's spectacular and, uh, as assisting in that in that final battle and helping just from a plot device standpoint how how would how would steven know how to deal with 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 binding harrow and amit together and all this sort of thing it it wouldn't have made any sense mm-hmm. and, and so it just it 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 actually i think did a really good job of tying up some some loose ends that that would have how you would have looked at and been like what the heck is going on here if it didn't happen? Yep. No, I, I absolutely agree. And and I think that I'd be interested to see if it was it was more obvious to people who hadn't read the comics that she was going to become a superhero than it was to those of us who did. Because at least for me, even though they told me she wasn't Marlene like eight times... Mm-hmm. I just kept thinking she was Marlene. Yeah. And Marlene yeah. does not get a spiffy costume and turn into a superhero at any point in the comics <laughs> I've read. So no, I just she definitely does not. I just had blinders on where I'd put this character into a box and I'm like, uh-huh. this is the Marlene box. They've just renamed her so that they can, you know, be able to to sort of do some things in terms of how she's got better connections in Egypt or whatever. And because of that, I think myself and maybe other folks who are Moon Knight fans got a better surprise out of it because it just kind of came out of left field. Um, But in any case, yeah, that was was a lot of fun. And it's always kind of cool to see them find an, an old character and then find a way to sort of renew it and bring it back in a way that that's organic and makes sense and everything else. So I think yeah. kudos on I, that. I, I'm very much hoping that they do more with this character going forward. And that I, I see no reason that they shouldn't. And I just, I really hope that they take, they, they use this character and it doesn't just sort of, uh, sit on the, on the shelf Yeah, that one thing that I do find weird is why at the end of all of this, Stephen slash Mark is back alone. They seem to be getting along at the end of it. Where is she? And, you know, has she given up the power and wandered off? So the fact we didn't really get any closure on that is a little bit frustrating. But I do suspect that um, if, if season two tracks down, if they do, as I think most of us expect, come around to that, that almost certainly the Scarlet Scarab is going to be a big part of the second season as well. Yeah. All right, so we teased a theory that you have at the beginning of of our topic segment, and I, I think now is... Now is the time that we have to actually talk about this a little bit because I, I I really do think this is an interesting thought experiment, if nothing else, into 
looking at at what they gave us and maybe what it is they gave us that we didn't realize they were giving us. All right. And and yet again, I'm going I'm going to preface this by saying that I I provide I provide this theory with no warranty whatsoever. Here's the thing. To me, the single most interesting idea within the Moon Knight show concerns a question that Arthur Harrow asks Mark Spector while he's sitting in the chair. It might actually have been Stephen Grant, I guess. But he asks him about, you know, is it more likely that you're sitting in a psych ward or that you're floating around on the ship of the dead with a talking hippo? You know, which of those seems like sense and which of them seems like nonsense, right? So you look at the locations and the scenes. We've got Stephen's flat. We've got the museum. We've got Germany. We've got Harrow's compound. We've got Cairo, the interior of the pyramid, Alexander's tomb, the psych ward, all of the various memory boxes where we go back and see Mark's past. It doesn't seem that all of them can be real. In fact, I would contend right. that just the fact that Arthur Harrow is two fundamentally different people in some of the scenes, yeah. right, means that we have to assume that some of these scenes are imagined and some of these scenes are real. I do not believe that Arthur Harrow somehow either was a psychiatrist and then turns into a mad cult leader or that Arthur Harrow was a mad cult leader who, after being defeated, somehow works his way into the medical community and takes over <laughs> a hospital, right? One or that the other of like those things there. Is, yeah. is not real. Uh, so because of that, we need to start sorting these locations out. You know, is the museum real? Is the museum attached to the same storyline as Germany? or as to Cairo, as to Alexander's tomb. How much of this exists in essentially what, what Harrow calls the, oh, what does he call them? Organizing principle of Organizing one or another location, and how much of them actually are happening to him that we can look at and say, this is reality within the MCU. And the problem I'm having is that the more I go through and look at these, and again, I've had some time this week because I can't leave the basement because my wife won't let me because she doesn't want me infecting the rest of the family. I have not been able to figure out a coherent story where I can decide what is real and what is fake where in the end any of it is real. Or at least any of the Moon Knight components are real. Right. The problem is that early in the story, you see a lot of things happen in the museum. And the museum's fundamental to the start of many of the plot points. Right. But there's a lot of things in that museum that lead me to believe that the museum is simply something that Stephen is imagining as an organizing Manifesting, yeah. yeah. He's manifested that as a way of processing things there are baboons a baboon statue in there 
that is the exact same as a baboon statue that's in the movie that he always watched when he was a kid. So when he leans up against while he's running from the jackals, there is the fact that you've got the girl who asks him that question about, you know, did it suck when you got rejected from... That girl, man. That girl. That girl is either a massive... Is either a massive plot hole where they just did it to mess with us or it's a Rosetta Stone for figuring out everything else. And the problem I have is these guys planned everything. You saw the mm-hmm. music. You saw how how elegantly everything fits together, how hard they worked to make everything look good. But you look at the the girl early on asking him how it felt when he died, when he hadn't died yet, but we know he's going to. You see the poster that he's talking to Donna about in the back room, where he's like, don't want to slag off on the marketing department, but they've only got seven gods on the poster for the Ennead, which is supposed to have nine. Which is weird, because we know that later, once Conchu's been put in a rock and Amit hasn't been taken out, there's two gods missing from the Egyptian pantheon, which means that poster might just be right. The interesting thing is that this almost ends up being an, a memento-level masterpiece in terms of the way it messes with your mind and it makes you think about what's real and go back through and track all of these different things. Or they just threw stuff like that girl's comment or the poster in to confuse people, and it's just a mess. It's nonsense, essentially. So and Noise, maybe. Just kind of, kind of noise to distract but, you. But doing that and doing that distraction, to me, unravels the entire thing. So either yeah. those things, you know, we talked earlier about that whole idea that, you know, if there's a gun above the mantelpiece in the first act, by the end of the play, it's got to be fired. Well, this isn't cinema verite where they're just hanging out in a museum and happen to hear this girl, right? They specifically chose to put that dial in. They specifically chose to bring attention to that poster. And that there has to be a reason they wanted to have us to have that information. Because none of those things is of any interest to the plot in any other way. All of them could have been taken out. And unless they're there as some sort of a marker to let you understand the reality elements better. There's no purpose for them whatsoever. And considering each episode was like seven minutes long, it's not like they were just throwing in lots of extra stuff to pad it out. You know? These were pretty lean episodes, I think we can agree. So... And and we also talked about how much the attention to detail on this series has been. I mean, they, they, they built... For the first time ever, they built in, you know, kind of pulls to get people from the TV show into the comics with those QR codes, right? Yep. We had just these, the nuance level uh, of the MCU, like TV shows and the movies and stuff and the Easter eggs they put in and the references and stuff. It makes it really hard to, to, to believe that stuff gets put in by accident right that that everything in there is chosen to be in there for a specific reason one thing that confuses the story can be an accident or it can be a mistake mm-hmm. right right two things that confuse the story 
It seems pretty sketchy, but maybe could be a coincidence. But then the weird thing is that after that, we have him go to the storage locker, find all of Mark's stuff, realize that he's a mercenary, and that there's all of this dangerous stuff. And he's like, you know, I don't want you to hurt anybody else. I'm going to turn myself in. I'm going to give you all this stuff, and then I'm going to check myself into some place so that we can't hurt anybody. The very next scene, what you see is Billy and Bobby coming, playing cops, stopping at his place, taking him away, driving him to Harrow's, and then Harrow comes out, talks to him a little bit, walks him into his location with all of the other people there who are kind of a little commune. Some of them are sitting around watching a TV. Some of them are hanging out at the, the food place. This is eerily similar to what would happen if a person checked themselves into a mental facility and yeah. then later on imagined it in a weird way. Yeah. But the thing that really bothers me is Waller in the car taking him there. Bobby turns around, looks at him, looks back down at a laptop she's got, and there is a, like a, a warrant out for the arrest of Mark Spector in conjunction with the killing of a bunch of, uh, of archaeologists in Egypt ten years previous. The crazy thing about that is that somehow Mark Spector's had, has been known to be one of the people responsible for the death of Layla's father for 10 years. He's had a warrant out for his arrest, and somehow in that 10 years he's managed to meet the daughter of the person who he supposedly killed, convince her to marry him, and never have her find out that he's known to be involved with the death of her father which I find to be completely incompatible. So I think that this becomes a third hint that Mark and Stephen are essentially unreliable narrators in what is almost entirely a story that's going on in their head. When you start to try and actually put the pieces together, I don't believe there's any way you can do it where the Moon Knight story and the Egyptian gods coming to life and fighting over Cairo actually makes sense. And if somebody there's can figure it many, out for me, too many, that's fine. Yeah, there's but I think too many holes. There's too many holes, and there's too many things that aren't even holes. It's, I, I would almost describe it as more like an Agatha Christie mystery, where what, what they've done is they've provided clues that allows someone, if they want to dig, to be able to discover that all of this is happening in Mark's head, in Stephen's head. And that if you just take a look and you enjoy it, it's a great spectacle. It's, a, it's an MCU show. But I think mm -hmm. it's interesting, among other things, that it's an MCU show, which is, to my knowledge, and my son actually noticed this, He's like, it's weird, we just had the after scene and there's no like other character who comes in propping the other movie. You know, when was the last time you saw any MCU property that didn't have some cross promotion with a guest star or even like a mention really of what was going on in something else? Moon Knight exists literally in a bubble mm 
completely unto itself. There was the mention of um, of Madripoor, and I think that might have been it. Was there anything else? There, there wasn't really anything else. No. So this is a really weird show in that it doesn't it doesn't connect at all to the MCU. Yeah, the, I, I mean the snap really is kind of a huge thing in the MCU. Then mentioned that across across a lot of the other things, and in fact, just seeing Doctor Strange, there there's mentions of the snap in the new Doctor Strange movie, and and to have nothing about that in here, it just it's too siloed. It really almost. is. And here's my here's my weird cough medicine conspiracy theory reason for why. I believe that this is the story of a young kid who suffered a significant trauma as a as a child. His mom became abusive. He developed DID as a coping mechanism. And over the years he, for the most part, was able to use that to live effectively, to be able to grow up, join the Marines, had a problem uh, where he went into a fugue state, as he called it, uh, and got kicked out of the Marines, probably became a mercenary, maybe ended up in a temple to Khonshu at some point. I think it's important that he, there's another fundamental difference, because in the comics you need essentially a mystical answer for how a dead guy comes back to life. But right. in the show, it's more just like he's getting ready to kill himself and then he hears this voice. And that voice in his head essentially convinces him to do what he probably always wanted to do, which was to use, and this is classic Moon Knight, is to want to use his talent for violence to take out people who deserve it instead of just using it as a mercenary. He proceeds along that path. When his mom dies, he hears about it. He has a mental break. He ends up in a hospital. And then this entire show is him and Harrow sitting in the hospital trying to somehow or another process that trauma and that grief and to get himself back to a state where he's whole. And in, in the context to the show, what that results in is a concept within DID called integration. And some DID systems work towards integration. Some find other ways to sort of arrange um, the way that they want to, to deal with the, the multiple uh, alters in their, in their system. But it's one way to come to a balance and, and be able to do things. Our, Oscar Isaac, when he was asked early on in a, I think you've seen it, it's a YouTube video, where yeah, they ask him about, do you think Moon Knight is a hero? And what he says, I think, is extremely telling. Because what he says is, I think what he ends up doing is very heroic, which is the story of integration. Has nothing to do with saving the world from Crocodile Lady, Right? What he does is heroic, not because he's a superhero, but because he's a normal guy going through a significant mental illness episode who finds a way through it by using story and using sort of his imagination to 
make himself better. I believe that Oscar Isaac knew going in that Moon Knight was a fiction of Stephen and Mark's imagination. Yeah. I, I think you're onto something. And, and one more piece of uh, that, that could actually add to this is we know from Jeremy Slater and, and uh, the directors, Justin Benson, Aaron Moorhead, that the Lemire Smallwood run definitely served as a big inspiration point for this TV series. And that whole thing was an arc that was entirely in his head so they may have they 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 literally could have given it given it away in interviews that this is that 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 this is exactly what is happening that that what you're saying that really outside of maybe some of the the kind of memories that that mark and steven kind of reveal uh or that mark reveals to steven that that really none of that actually happened like it, that it's all him in a in, in a hospital and trying to come come to terms with everything that's going on yep and and i'm i'm not entirely certain exactly what parts like some parts of the flat maybe some parts of the museum potentially could have can work into the the reality part of it but it seems to me just that when you when you look at it, it becomes relatively clear that making a making a path to sense out of all the scenes in this is really really difficult unless you just assume that a lot of it is just made up. And if that's the case, by the way, it takes this story and makes it so much more impressive than it used to be. Partly because, I mean, Kevin Feige had to approve this. And it's essentially, we want to just trick everybody who's a fan of the MCU into believing they're seeing a Moon Knight show. Essentially, you know, we're, we're offering them Batman and giving them One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And nobody's going to notice. And they're going to love it. Yeah. And it worked. It did. Right? We, we 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 spent the first part of the episode talking about how well it worked. It, it's it's brilliant. And if you just want to enjoy it as a superhero show, you can do that and you don't have to worry about it. And if you do want to look at it another way though, I think one of the coolest things about it is that for a lot of us, when you look at what Mark and Stephen what what Stephen essentially is doing in terms of the devices he's using to help him with his 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 framing devices or what does they call it again I, I can never remember this organizing principles his organizing principles what his organizing principles become are the movies he loved as a kid yeah. it's comic books it's a lot of the same stuff that we love if i'm going to go back and watch again i think that one of the things I'm going to go back to repeatedly is that movie clip from the Indiana Jones, or what I guess I'd call more like the Alan Quartermain sort of B-movie, adventure movie, that 
Stephen Grant loved when he was a kid. And because it was so formative in terms of, you know, he and his brother were playing sort of the characters from that movie when his brother died. There's at least one artifact in there, the the baboon statue, which if indeed the museum is something that's a creation of, of Stephen and Mark's mind, that is placed within the museum. Um, and I think also that, you know, they're using the compass, of course, to find this artifact. And the artifact they find is a four-headed lunar god of the Aztecs, which I think, you know, if you, if you consider Conchu's there in his head as well. And it's interesting because when we were seeing in the flashbacks, there was that crushed bird that they stepped on. Um, I think that may imply that Conchu's been with Mark and Stephen for a lot longer than we think in terms of something that's been in their head. But it could be that that movie was even the genesis of Mark's entire idea for Moon Knight. So uh, it's, there's a lot there, a lot to go back and take another look at. And I really love the fact that this is, it is sort of a Valentine to comic books and to genre movies and things like that. And it looks at how important those are to us as kids and how they kind of follow us along in life. So, And there, there is a possibility that somehow some of the other scene, that, that, you know, the big CGI scene at the end is real, it's all MCU, that somehow uh, there's just scenes out of order where maybe everything that happens in the museum is another thing that happens while he's, while he's dead or whatever. I don't know. But I do know that just taking it at face value doesn't make sense to me. But if you think about it a bit, you can create some pretty cool stuff. And that that's more than I would have ever expected out of, you know, superhero entertainment. So this right. is... Take that, Martin I... Scorsese. Here's your cinema, <laughs> right? I, I love this theory. And I would love to hear what you think of this theory because I, when Dan, when Dan was telling me about this before we started recording, I, I was floored by it. And, and I think it's really, really interesting and it, and it actually makes me want to go back and look again to see if there's something, you know, more clues that might tell us one way or the other, whether or not there's whether or not there's some some water to be held here no and i again cough medicine etc covid <laughs> if i'm wrong I'm, I'm wrong but uh i i'm relatively certain at this point that the the only legitimate reading of this is that it's all going on in their head so All right, well, enough of that. How about we just assume that somehow there really is a Moon Knight in the MCU and that maybe we will see him again? What, what, can, you, what can you think about? What do you want to see next for Moon Knight? Well, I mean, yes. First of all, I definitely want to see more Moon Knight. Uh, there, there is Huzzah. no question... 
there is no question in my mind there and and it had better be oscar isaac when we do uh and preferably the sooner the better in in my mind i i think what what i want to see is more of kind of what i talked about earlier with my expectation i actually think i would love to see the tv show emulate kind of the current jed mckay run where you where you leverage this go back to him doing the moon knight things right the 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 street vigilanteism sticking up for a neighborhood uh, not dissimilarly to to daredevil or something like that i would love to see stained glass scarlet i would love to see uh definitely need to see may kalamaui again and the scarlet scarab i definitely want to have that and then obviously because of the way they talked to or finally revealed jake lockley we have to have some sort of reckoning with with you know mark and steven recognizing and and dealing with the jake alter or at least becoming aware of him and then figuring out how that's going to work and 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 all that there is there is to me a lot of ground they could go in a lot of different directions they could go if if and when they decide they want to do this and i and i hope they do and i hope they do it soon and, and i'm here for it when they do what do you, what do you think is going to where, where are you at with this I mean, a, a number of people have said that even if they've decided they're going to do a season two, they can't announce it yet because they put Moon Knight up for best limited series. And if they announce a season two before the limited right. series categories are like finalized, then the Academy will toss out their, their nominations because you can't have a season two and be a limited series. Evidently, that's what happened to Loki last year. And so... That might be part of the reason why we're not going to hear anything for a while. But Oscar Isaac did not sign the normal multi-year deal for this. And right. there was not really an intent for multiple seasons, it doesn't seem, at the beginning. They all seem to be ready to come back. But, I mean, again, if my, if my tinfoil hat theory is correct, this is just a weird Oscar Isaac multiverse guy who's not Moon Knight. And then... You know, season two will come around and it'll open and it'll be revealed that John Krasinski is actually <laughs> and everything will just sort of reboot and move forward from there. Right. So I, I have no idea what's going to happen, but I, I do think it would be great to have the series continue. I don't know how easy it is to reset the tone of a series to take indiana jones and turn him into you know die hard or something like that so because of that i'm saying i'm saying law and order but you know whatever (laughs) (laughs) did they did they get to punch people i'm not sure if they did that often well i I mostly watch not not explicitly but you know there you go i i i i i'm saying like like I said, the Midnight Mission seems to me to be a procedural sort of thing you could do. Bad guy of the week, larger I would story in the background, that sort of thing. But yeah, it, it does seem, though, that you know they've definitely got a path forward if they decide to do it. They are going to maybe have to explain a couple things in terms of how, they, how they're going to make it work. 
and there are some limitations based on the way that they've set things up but it seems like they've they've found a character that people really connected to and it would be a shame if he didn't come back so i'm expecting that after the award season oscar isaac probably will be nominated quite likely will win some sort of awards for this and there's a real good chance that he's going to come back uh, not only potentially in another series but maybe even as a an occasional guest star in other vehicles uh, in the in the Marvel universe as well. I, I, yeah, I, I'm. You're already seeing speculation about that. There's a new Captain America movie potentially coming with the new Captain America, and they're like, you know, who would be good to be in there? And our our good friend Moon Knight would be a good good uh, option in there. So. There's there's definitely opportunities uh, where he could cross yeah. over and and make you know we talked about there not being any of that sort of uh, linkage to the other MCU stuff that doesn't mean they can't at some point no nope. absolutely not that. it just it just means right now you know there's nothing there's nothing in place which also means there's a lot of different opportunities so right we'll see what happens but. Um, I'm I'm very hopeful that you know it seems like it was successful with fans it was successful with critics there's absolutely no reason not to make something more although Marvel is almost a victim of its own success where it's piling up so many shows that people like yeah they, just how they much television presumably can you put on they, television yeah you know presumably you can't do everything at least not at the same time no. Yeah. So they should just drop everything else and make more money. <laughs> Are we agreed? <laughs> there's, there's the answer right there. All right, let's look ahead to what we're doing next week. Sounds good. Next week is going to be fun. We are going to finish up with the stuff we thought we were going to finish up with last week. But it turns yes. out Jed McKay's writing is so much fun and it is so just in-depth that it's taking us twice as long as we thought to get through the the current run of Moon Knight. So we're going to finish up on the current run of Moon Knight. We also are going to take a look at uh, Moon Knight Devil's Reign. And then, I guess, depending on, are you going to have your copy of... Red, white, and blood. By then, Dwayne is presenting the copy of it. Red, white, and blood. We can add that to the stack too if we have time. So we may or may not be be taking a look at that as well. So fun stuff, all sorts of fun stuff. All right, that brings us to the end of our TV show wrap up. We want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, this is definitely going to be one of the longer episodes, so please thank you uh, for for joining us. We'd love for you to stick around as we conclude our journey through the story of Moon Knight. We recommend you subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new, new show as soon as it's released. If you've already subscribed, please consider leaving us a review. You can send us questions or comments via email. That address is questions at phasesofthemoonnight.com. And you can follow the show on Twitter. We are at 
phases of MK. Have a great one. Take care, everybody.